Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Today we're going to remember the Matt Nagy era. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Is it over yet? Is it over? I don't know. I'm just waiting waiting to see uh, what Hub says. I haven't, heard much, haven't heard much from Hub lately. I don't know what's going on. Um, so we are going to uh, – the Bears are playing the Vikings again. They seem to finish the season a lot with the Vikings in Minnesota. Off the- yeah, off the top of my head, uh, twenty uh, was it 2011 when Erlacher got hurt in the last game of the year? Uh, they knocked him out. Even uh, a disincentivized Bears playoff team, the only one that we've experienced in recent years. Not Did they not keep the Vikings out by beating them on the last, in the Metrodome? They may have, which was hilarious. I th- I'm pretty sure. I know it's recent, but I think I've already established that I usually suck they more. Did it. The more they recent. played there twice with Mitch. On the last and week, yeah, on the 16 week, or whatever, yeah, well, it would have been week sixteen. Now, part of it, I think, is your the under the way they want to do it now. The final week will always be against a division opponent, so you only have three possible opponents. Is that right? I didn't know that. Um, That's a thing now, huh? Yeah. So, I was not aware. It's probably going to be the Vikings a lot. Because the Lions, you know, you're in that kind of Thanksgiving rotation, so you'll be you'll have already gone to Detroit like they did this year. Maybe the pack. <coughs> excuse me, the Packers. I don't know. They want to save Bears Packers for the last week because um, it gets good ratings, no matter what. Because of the all of us idiots and the so Chicago it might it might end up being the Vikings a lot. But anyway, so we are going to hearken back. You know what we should have done. So no, for no reason, we could have gone back to the Audible. We could have gone back to the Jim Harbaugh disaster in the Metrodome and relive that 30 years ago sent it to George McCaskey and said remember what this asshole did <laughs> but we're not doing that because I don't want to relive that I have a great story about that I believe I told it about how the minute that these are the second interception uh, my friend Neil and I sent his uh, our friend assholes girlfriend beautiful out to the bottle store and she bought us all 30 packs of old style light and we drank them all that day you have told that story on this very podcast yes. um, last year when, when we did two fresh, fresh Another original. Another reason why I, I hate Jim Harbaugh. Crap. Yes. My liver and so, me both hate Jim Harbaugh. It's been, it's been entered into the canon. Um, yeah. The, the Met, they, uh, it's been uh, sometimes a house of horrors. Uh, it's a weird, it was a weird play, although it wasn't as weird for football as it was for baseball. Uh, I, I actually had the unique pleasure of watching both uh, sports and the professional level there. Uh, football, actually, you know, in a neutral sense, it was fine. I saw the 2001 Bears team, which were young and fast, flying all over the field. And uh, football is very, un, you know, uniform with, 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 you know, how everything is. Unless you have somebody that's going to boom a punt off the speakers, I don't think it's uh, you know, it's really a, a factor. Baseball is an unholy experience that I you know just couldn't get over. But um, having said that, the Bears, of course, have had uh, some, some some success uh, in the in the roller dome, but none possibly quite as awesome as what we're going to discuss here tonight. Right. So we're going to go back to a Thursday night, week three of the nineteen eighty five season. Uh, special Monday Night Football on Thursday night. They couldn't even call it Thursday Night Football. Uh, with the uh, the immortal broadcast crew of Frank Gifford, Joe Namath, 
and O.J. Simpson. You want to talk about remember some crap or remember this crap? Um, you're three. Does how without looking it up, it would almost be hard to recall that uh, that for, that for a two year period that was the the, the crew. Yeah, Joe Namath, what O.J. Frank Gifford there, and and there's a reason why you could be forgiven for not remembering it well, we, because yeah, we, it was we looked it up. Good. Joe oh, Joe only did it for a year. And he said, fuck this, I'm done. Oh, this was his only year. Well, yeah. he did it for three, and Frank did it forever. Um, so this was it for Joe. He was one and done. And when you hear yeah. him, you kind of see why. It's probably the low point, now that I think about it, of the whole Monday night production uh, dating back to Rune Arledge's inception in 1970. I think this would be this... This I sort of transition between the Meredith, yeah. Cosell, Gifford uh, to the Al Michaels and, you know, whatever. I guess you got to give Deardorff the credit. I, I mean, mean, they're still certainly on efforts. on ABC. They've had some rough years on ESPN, like when they had right. Joe Tessitore and the Boogermobile. Yeah. And God, who was the who was the color guy? I would be more comfortable in fact, if you drew the line at uh, when they jumped ship uh, from, because I, I'm not familiar with the ESPN broad, broadcast uh, through the years. Oh, Jason Witten. <laughs> How can I forget? Right. Who's playing again, right? Is he well, still no, playing? He gave, he yeah, he went back to play. Again. Mostly to get out of the booth. Last year, I remember this crap. Actually, I you would you would informed me of the fact that he was back after having been in the booth for, yeah, Monday Night Football. He came back and they change a lot now. And... They, they actually got some stability when they when they settled on uh, on Deardorff, Michaels, and Gifford until they threw Gifford out. I think I don't know, but yeah, this was not a good broadcast. Well, we're going to spare the listeners uh, the whole game. Uh, also interesting to note that we've at least uh, you know made it a lot you know made it more updated considering the last Bears Vikings game that we did was 1979. So yeah, at least we're ahead. Although there are there's yeah. still a bunch of those guys. There are, which I found very interesting. Greg I want to make sure we Scott we Studwell him. is still Greg around. Is, Stud, Studwell was in both games. Tommy um, Kramer. Kramer was the starting quarterback in both games. Ted Brown of six years of pounds. Um, no, I don't remember it. Was there a Ted Brown sighting? In yeah, this game? they put up been. that he was like the fourth all-time Viking. Thank you. Okay, during the game, so he's. I don't think he played very much. Well, I can tell you how much he played. We have the internet. And while, and while you cue that up, right here. In while, front of me. while you cue it up, I'll just point out that you know we're going to uh, you know play the audio at the point at a very critical point in the game, but we don't want anyone to miss out. So we'll kind of provide a quick synopsis of how things went in the first half. Oh, Ted Brown was all over this game. One carry for six yards and one catch for nine yards. How could you miss there him? So yeah, so yeah, what we're gonna do Swan is we're gonna side. we're gonna talk about the beginning of the game, and then we are going to um, pick it up, the actual broadcast, at the moment uh, Jim McMahon finally has worn Ditka down, and he's gonna put him in, and then we're just gonna, I mean, I don't, it's not exactly a spoiler alert. The game happened, what, thirty-seven years ago. Um, he throws three touchdowns pretty fast, and we're gonna go through all three of those drives. Yep. And then we'll wrap up what happened in the game. So it's about cool. 20 minutes of game action that we're going to go, which is about what we typically have to use those condensed games. So it's about the same. Yeah, I think it works. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, coming into this game, uh, the Vikings were a surprising 2-0. and 
Um, and they had gone three and 13 the, the previous season. And that was a season after which Bud Grant had retired after a long storied career as the Vikings coach. But apparently, you know, the three and 13 season, the bears clinching their first ever uh, NFC central division championship, you know, on their home turf in 84, uh, all of this just must've enraged Viking nation to the point where uh crusty old Bud Grant comes right out of retirement uh, immediately and comes back and they, in week one, this team that went three and thirteen defeats the Super Bowl champion. The team that went fifteen and one the year before and plowed through their second uh, Montana championship. They beat the Niners. Uh, they they win week two. Uh, they're two and zero. Oh. And here come the Bears, and of course, there's that probably that the probable Viking arrogance coming into this game because they're still fresh off, uh, you know, a dominant run uh, at least in the division. And who are these Bears? Yeah, they won a division last year, and they you know swept us and whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of must have been going through a lot of their heads. And the Bears, of course, feeling confident because they feel like they're ascending, which, of course, they, they proved to be. Uh, but it got off to a little bit of a rough start. So it's kind of funny to see how quickly the Bears turned all that on uh, on its ear. Yeah, well, I can see why the Vikings were cocky. The, the Bears had, only, had just won only their third road playoff game in franchise history. How embarrassing was that, that they barely done that? Uh, you think about all the ones they've done since, like when they went to Minnesota and they beat the Vikings in 19, on New Year's Day, 95, and, oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Four, ever. But ever. Hey, at least one of them was in the hump dump. So, yeah, it really does even out. There have been horrors, but there have been, you know, relatively Yeah, I think speaking. it's, I think the Bears have only won road games at, the, this is, well, the Polo Grounds. Or Yankee Stadium. Or Yan- yeah, I'll probably Yankee grounds. Stadium. One, probably Yankee Stadium. Okay. I think two at RFK. Uh, it does, definitely, certainly. At least one. That's all you need. And the Hump Dome. And none of those stadiums home. are used for football. I don't, none of them exist. They're all the gone. Only, well, the only thing I would want to know is... is They're all gone. Our, if RFK 1984, is that the same stadium in which the Bears also beat the Redskins in 1940? And I think they also won the 43 championship in Washington. Uh, I don't know if that was RFK. Same city. So Whatever you know. stadium they wanted in in Washington, it ain't there. There's not a stadium exi- <laughs> in, in existence other than Soldier Field. I get your point. I mean, Wrigley is still standing <laughs> out for football, except for once no, a year. No, but for... it is standing, but it's fitting that. It's... So outside of the city <laughs> of Chicago, there is not a stadium standing that the Bears have won a playoff game in. Other than, I guess there's one notable exception, and that would be a, that would be the Superdome. Oh, New Orleans. But yeah. that was a neutral site. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it. So, Whew, the I, proud. I'm... Well, I, I want I want George McCaskey to put that on the. Um, the little fact sure. sheet that they he send really out to sure. all the candidates for the coach and GM jobs. That'll be good. So what, what, what you see in the first half, what we'll spare you with tonight, but you're welcome to view it yourself. Various, various Viking sightings. Uh, and I'm sorry, I have to make a diversion this early in this because, and this is your fault, but in one of your pointless exercise um, uh, newsletters last week, you provided a link to what I just thought was, Un, just indescribable gold, and it was the 1977 Sun Bowl with uh, Pat Summerall and uh, Tom Brookshire and think Burt it was, Reynolds. I think it was David Roth from uh, Defector that originally posted it. Good, good. And so well, I found bad. it. I was like, "Oh, that this wasn't. is great." The best part about it, if you watch it, I you don't have to watch the whole thing. We have to watch the no, beginning. You have to watch the is whole that thing. they treat it like Burt is 
always do in college football. They don't introduce him. He's not the star of Gator or the longest make, yard. He, okay, here's my take. They I, just I, let him do the stand-up like he's, like he's just one of the crew. I will say that they would actually make a couple references. Well, yeah. Uh, sometimes they'd make self-deprecating. He would be self-deprecating. Yes. He actually was a good analyst, though, when he chimed in. Like he did a little bit of homework on. on uh, I forget. I was what, what I loved about it was, was first of all that, and that's why you let us into it was talking about them running over the border, yeah. which doing, they, and they freely they, they, they freely they admit to in the telecast. They went to which, Juarez, which that alone makes <laughs> makes it worthwhile. It's also where they just it's just an amazing thing to watch. And the funny thing is those three guys. Summer we've talked about. Summer, we haven't really talked about Brookshire, and I've been thinking a lot about him because, kind of a trivia answer, like he was the, the, the you know the the broadcaster before Madden revolutionized it, and it was Brookshire, and he was not bad no. at doing that. He was he was it wasn't like Madden came into like an empty cupboard and. Uh, he just did it way, you know, way differently. But Brookshire was a really good and pretty funny guy. But the thing about all those guys is that they were all like around the same age and all played like major college football in the early to mid fifties. Um, I mean, you know, Burt Reynolds, of course, at Florida state, you know, they talk about how Lee Corso was his back. Yep. Was, and there's so many references in that, in that 15 minute clip. And then there's also, there are also so many, I'm going to bring it back here. I'm mean, there's uh, so many uh, players in that game uh, that we would recognize as future pros like James Lofton, uh, freaking David Woodley. I didn't know he was the LSU quarterback. Uh, and then, of course, there are actually not one, but two players in that game that are in this game tonight. And that would be Darren Nelson, who was Stanford's yeah. running back, uh, Bill Walsh's uh, Stanford's uh, running back, and Willie Teal, whose name we're, you're going to hear when we do play the audio. And Willie was like, it couldn't have been more than a freshman or sophomore for, and I don't remember which team, but he was on, he played in the 77 Sun Bowl. LSU, Willie Teal is from LSU. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, the reason, the reason that CBS, so Tom Brookshire and Pat Summerall were the number one team on, CBS. And they were pretty good. And they were good, but the problem was they were both functioning alcoholics. <laughs> this is not me making a joke. They really were. And CBS intentionally broke them up because they were worried Pat was going to die. I don't remember seeing that in the All Madden documentary. And that was part of the reason to pair Pat with John. Was yeah, Pat's John's our best play-by-play announcer. He's a drunk and him and Brookshire are literally getting drunk right up until game time, and then could both just do the game completely suave and functioning, and right. just keep boozing afterwards. And they literally that was part of yeah. the part of the calculus so, of if, putting them together. Was whatever to save whatever, Pat's life. Whatever actually he needed a liver uh, transplant. Consulted at one them with that probably saved Pat Summerall's life, or at least extended it by twenty years. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. don't. They talked about Corso, but did they mention the fact that Lee Lee wasn't just Bert's teammate? They were roommates. His, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. Lee, Lee has brought position. that up. Were there back? One was a backup to the other. Lee, didn't, Lee had a nice little tribute on game day that when Bert died. Okay, they were legitimately friends for like fifty years. It's I mean, crazy. Ever it's since just, college, they stayed friends. I'm sure Bert me, probably uh, came. He Bert probably came to DeKalb to visit Lee while he was coaching. Think so? Yeah, Bert was just hanging out in in the early eighties. Yeah. Just went to Molly's and down to the <laughs> would have been certainly McCabe's, McCabe's was around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alabama. All right. So 
other various Vikings that, that you may have missed in the first half. They have this cadre of receivers, Mike Jones. Uh, uh, there's Buster Rhymes that you've referenced before, not the same as the rap producer, but the rap producer did uh, give himself the stage name of Buster Rhymes because of this player who, as it turns out, makes his first NFL reception uh, later on in this game uh, on a big drive. And, of course, um, uh, the pride of Ann Arbor, Anthony Carter, AC, who I – I have memories of going back to a Notre Dame Michigan matchups uh, from before USFL star Frank, Frank it, obsessed with how little Anthony Carter. Is. I know. I know. And Carter was really good receiver for a while. He had played for the, in the USFL. Was it the Michigan Panthers? Was it was Michigan Panthers for two years. And then apparently they did something like the They merged with another team. It was kind of the same. He was no thing. Tremaine Johnson. He, well, that's the thing. He kind of was, you know, I was going to bring up, I was going to bring him up in the context of our guy, Tremaine Johnson in that, I think Anthony was like the first ever MVP. I think he was a monster in the USFL. They also had uh, two rece- notable receivers, uh, Steve Jordan, who's a, a very good receiver. Uh, I'm sorry. Tight, I said receiver, I meant tight end. Uh, Steve Jordan, of course, remember him. And of course, future NFL coach, Mike Malarkey yeah, uh, was another. And then, um, that other Scott Studwell, you said Carl Lee gets a pick in the end, and then various Bears they made him as Tim Reitman, Brad Anderson, Calvin Thomas, L.A. Mike Richardson, uh, Andy Frederick. There's an Andy Frederick sighting on the sideline, uh, and also apparently an asthmatic referee, um, which seems like every time he's announcing a call, he's just struggling. I had, a, to I had an issue right away with the referee. His they name is his name is Dick Jorgensen. Now, there is no way in the world that a guy named Dick Jorgensen should be allowed to do a Minnesota home game. Dick <laughs> You get the hey biggest fucking Swede you can find, and you let him do the Vikings game? At least his name wasn't Sven. Jorgensen with an E, even. Right. You can't oh, yeah. get more Swedish Make than no jo- and Jorgensen with an E. Bears um, were screwed from the very beginning. But they he seemed to have he seemed to have trouble being heard, but we'll hear a clip of him in the in the highlights, so we can get back to him. Uh, other things you might have missed in the first half is not once but twice our guy Frank Gifford makes a reference to Bears defensive coordinator Buddy Curry. Buddy Curry, the best is he actually the first time refers to him as the great Buddy Curry. So great you can't get his name right. And I had to look up. I'm like, all right, is there a Buddy Curry? Because and there is, is. and he was playing linebacker be. for the Falcons at the time. He played eight years okay. in the NFL. Eight year. Okay, not a Hall and of Famer. And so that's a probably... um that's I was, I was telling you before, that's it's a very hairy thing, which is you just you, you just think of the of somebody else when you go to say when you get a name wrong. Right. Later on, Harry was mangling names so badly we couldn't tell who he meant. But for right. a long time you could. You could figure out, okay, well it's not we know it's not Buddy Curry, it's Buddy Ryan, and you know, we know why you think that. Ra- but Raphael Frank is gonna pa- Frank is Raphael Palermo. Yeah. Frank's going to have a rough – well, Frank was just a rough announcer. He was bad. He wasn't that good, and this is not one of his better outings. I think apparently there is no chemistry, I don't think. In the, there's It's not a good crew, and it was short-lived. And with no, there reason. are times when you assume that the three can't hear each other. <laughs> that they're just they're all doing their own broadcast at the same time. And you're like, wait a minute, what? They're not they – bo- they all talk about something, and the other guys don't comment on it at all. They just yeah. wait for you know somebody it's, to it's, stop it's, talking, and then they start. It's like, holy this, shit. Disjointed would be the most charitable uh, uh, description I could make. So, but not to be outdone, by the way, as far as Frank Gifford uh, confusing Buddy Ryan with Buddy Curry, is that uh, OJ makes a reference to Bears defensive lineman uh, Dave Hampton. Dave, well, former Atlanta running back who we've discussed on Remember This Crap for uh, having rushed for over a thousand yards in the 
getting tackled for a loss. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We see our guy Les Frazier makes an interception in the first half, uh, four months before Steve Kayser would end his career in yep. the Super Bowl. There's some Peyton adulation. Of course, now Peyton has enjoyed over almost a calendar year of being the all-time leading rusher, and he's still getting 1,500 yards a uh, season. A Greg Coleman sighting, and you were the one that I didn't even remember this, or I don't think I ever knew this at the time, but Greg Coleman, of course, was uh, – Frank's a little confused about it. We'll hear it because I think it's on the clip, but uh, he, he is the cousin of, cousin of Vince Coleman. Uh, St. Louis Cardinal Vince Coleman. And this is 1985, by the way. It would only be, The only thing that would be more perfect is if the 1987 Cardinals Twins World Series would be played in 1985 and that Greg's cousin would have still gotten eaten alive by the tarp on that field. Um but it didn't quite work out. But 85 was the year that Vince Coleman uh, did not play in that year's World what Series. What if Frank had predicted it? About a month after this. <laughs> on the record. Hey, you know, his uh, cousin, Vince, plays for the plays baseball for the Cardinals. And, you know, uh, he needs to be careful. I've seen him. He gets a little too close to those automatic tarps before right. games. <laughs> those are dangerous. Vince, Frank out. is just the savant seer. He can't get names right, but he can see the future. Is this, free, is this pre-Kathy Lee? It is for yeah. sure. He might have been courting her. He might have been courting her. I think that became a thing in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, you don't know, know what Kathy sure. Lee's job was when Frank uh, started dating her? Oh, I I don't want to say what I'm thinking. No, she wasn't a stewardess. Those were different. He got into stewardesses later. That was later. That was later. Um, she was the I forget what they called her, like the the bong bong girl on Name That Tune. She was the one who would sing the lyric and then leave out the name of the song. Okay. So she'd be wow. like, you know, I don't even, I can't even think of one, but she'd be like, doo, 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 and then bong, 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 or whatever noise she was supposed to make to let you know that that's where the name of the song is. Got and it. I'm not going to oh, say wow. it because that's what she did. They, they would have her singing long before she was annoying people on cruise ships. And Frank, uh, you know, coming in between two days and flipping on the. the Kathy the Lee is annoying as she it. was when she was young. It's a good looking woman. Oh, yeah. She was fine. I mean, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, she got increasingly wacky and crazy. Yeah. And no. like, Is she still getting drunk on the Today Show every day? Was she getting buzzed? Maybe they get, get Tom Brookshire that. on with her. Oh, I think he's <laughs> That's <dead>. right. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, Frank also at one point uh, in the first half, the, and, just, and just to characterize the, the offense, the, the real backdrop, of course, the drama, and they allude to it. What's going on here is that you see a couple shots of Jim McMahon uh, sort of lurking the sidelines like a caged animal. Uh, the thing is the Bears are 2-0, and uh, and they failed to advance the previous year they, when they lost to the Niners in a game we, we've discussed ad nauseum. You know, the whole line was that they walked off the field, and the Niners were like, next year, bring your offense. And, you know, it was like, if only we could keep McMahon healthy. And not even two games into the 85 season, he's uh, he's – He's not starting because he's banged up. I don't even know what he had this time. They talk about oh, it. Oh, they do. Yeah, he. Uh, so <laughs> he he spent the week in traction for a pinched nerve <laughs> in his neck, suffered in a win in Foxborough. No, against, Chicago. It was oh, still it was in it was still Soldier Field. Yeah, oh, yeah. week two so against game the in Chicago yeah. against uh, the Patriots. Their eventual yeah. Super Bowl foe. Yeah, twenty to seven. And uh, the, the big deal was because it was a Thursday night game. That's right. Yeah, you because know, clearly he's been shot up and he's up and around. And had there been a Sunday game, he probably would have practiced on Thursday, and this wouldn't have been a big deal. But he hadn't been able to practice, and so that's uh, a great Dicka, point. Dicka said, "Well, if you can't practice, you can't play." Which is the that, that was his philosophy. One of, the, one, of the, one of the bullshit coach rules that immediately gets broken in an act of desperation, or what is uh, 
what does Frank it, it keep does. calling it? Catastrophe. It's something like that. He keeps referring the, to uh, it's not the emergency quarterback. Uh, Jim McMahon is the catastrophe quarterback. They they all at some point. <laughs> no, that was Rusty Lish. That was the catastrophe quarterback. <sighs> yeah, well, Lish was long. He would long. Yeah, Ditka had long ago punted Lish into Lake Michigan. Um, but but all three of them had essentially rallied uh, throughout, and I think even well before the clip would, would play. But they they eventually all sort of come around to, to uh, Ditka's defense as far as well. I believe that Namus says some bullshit about if you don't practice, especially for a quarterback. I don't know if you should play. You know, uh, so that's going on too. You know, the Bears are two and zero. We do have high hopes that it will turn out to work out. But you know, we're dealing with Fuller, who was good enough to get them to that title game with a couple of like fluky plays. He was better than other backups we had, but, and he was not actually shitty in this game. In my, in my first memory before rewatching it, I just, in my, my, my own, you know, Mandela affected uh, narrative, it just like Steve Fuller was terrible and Ditka just got pissed off. He, he wasn't terrible. He got them down the field, but they kept like set, settling for field goals. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you know what it felt like when I was watching it again, I'm like, this felt like every Monday night football game, after the Super Bowl season for like six or seven years where, you know, often be close if it wasn't a blowout in San Francisco, it'd be a, often a, a close game where an inept offense just can't pull away because they can't get points. And so Fuller, he did have a couple bad picks or maybe just one, but you know, he wasn't completely horrible, but every time they'd get within the red zone and they were stuffing Peyton to their credit, the Vikings were, uh, they just weren't getting points. So it wasn't like a completely inept offense, but uh, certainly with what it was and with number nine, making his presence felt, you know, up and down the sidelines, um, like I said, like a caged animal, I think we're, we're headed towards something, but one more thing about Frank, I wanted to say that at one point the bears do go up two field goal six or, you know, it's tied at three and the bears Butler kicks into the field goal. And Frank tells us that the score is six, nothing. Yep. No Frank. And Frank also refers to Mike Richardson as uh, he's a really developed into a fine cornerback. And I think most bears fans from that era remember that if, if there's a weak link on the Bear 85 Bears defense, that'd be the guy. It was L.A. Mike. Yeah, so some LA things Mike. I learned. Um, the Bears had, the Bears traded a draft pick for Maury Buford. Did you catch what round that draft pick was? Was it like the 12th? The 12th. It was the 12th. Worthy really yeah. of a 12th round draft pick. Way to go, Maury. Maury was the all-time, and Frank referred to him as the all-time leading kicker in Chargers history. Yeah, Frank. Just I guess Frank I didn't know what that kick, means. Kick, was he really the punter, the or was he... <laughs> Was he Rolf Benershka? Uh, no, he was two Rolf Benershka references another, in a row. Absolutely. Well, it was a it was a replay, but it's, it came out it, typically in a Giants uh, podcast. But uh, yeah, he was Rolf Benershka's counterpart before becoming uh, rookie Kevin Butler's counterpart. Uh, okay. Early in the game, OJ says it's a good thing that the Bears are establishing the run with Walter because Walter has sore ribs. I heard that. I remember yeah. that. I, didn't, I don't remember ever hearing Peyton Basically, I think O.J. was trying to make the point that it shows that even with sore ribs, they're still going to run the ball. It didn't make any sense. It was very O.J. <laughs> uh, Frank uh, said that the the way he said it, I was like, holy shit, how would that happen? Uh, he said, uh, through two games, the Vikings have 12 turnovers. And I'm like, oh, my God, they committed 12 turnovers? No, he meant they had forced 12 turnovers, I, including I gotta... seven in the opener against the Niners. And then Frank said they won going away 28, 21. That's a, that's almost like a football, a, a summary equivalent of, of line drive 
caught base hit caught out there. Now here's the weird thing. Place. I couldn't find, so I went back and looked at the box scores for the two games. And yes, at their credit was seven turnovers forced against uh, the Niners and five against Tampa. Okay. And you could see that there's four interceptions total in the two games. And when I look at the, fu- there are no fumbles listed. It's just the weirdest thing. I assume there were fumbles that aren't didn't make the box score in 1985. Well, one thing that bothers me is I know or they, they don't turnover do... on downs. I I I don't think it is, but I do think turnover on downs should count as a turnover. And I it always bothers me that they, that they don't usually count that as a turnover. I, uh, I, I did enjoy that at one point. Gifford, he uh, he promotes a piece that's going to be on the halftime show. Did you catch this, Dick Shap? Dick Shap has a great story. Frank has seen it. Great story on the fact the NFL is experimenting with this crazy technology of putting a radio in a quarterback's helmet. Never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and they might, really and they might bring replay back. And they talked about they used they experimented with replay in the in preseason. preseason games. Yes. Yeah, I th- and they, they, that that practice I think actually goes back to the seventies. They were really slow. They actually brought, and we talked about this on an earlier uh, episode, but uh, opening day 1986, the year after this, in Soldier Field was the first instance of that legitimate uh, use of instant replay. So it was actually very close to being being used in, in that earlier weird version of it. Uh, at one point in the first half, the Bears uh, are down towards the goal line, and they stop. They just grind to a halt because there's too much crowd noise. And you get to relive that wonderful era where teams just stood there at the line of scrimmage waiting for the crowd to get quiet. The dumbest thing ever. No radios. No, I don't know what, why Why can they deal with that now and they couldn't do it. Then it was just like a... Spill the NFL basically just said, you know what, tough shit. You're just going to have to figure out other yeah. ways to signal silent plays. Count, and, that's silent they, and that's what they did. Yeah. But yeah, you could just stand there, and then they could. And I don't know what year the rules were different. Some years, some years you could actually the home team could actually get a penalty. I if remember the that. crowd wouldn't shut up. You could, which you I could, was. They could force you to use a timeout if the crowd. Which didn't I was shut in up. They favor, tried all which kinds I was, of shit. I was in favor of that because I was like a, an eleven-year-old meatball who resented teams that played in domes yeah. to begin with because it was always loud and scary, and the Bears always seemed to shit their pants in domes. So, um, but yeah, that's. Yeah, deal with it. Yeah. They had a great graphic um, showing the uh, the final six games of the Vikings' 1984 season where they set a, an NFL record that unlikely to be topped. If Mark Trussman didn't break it, nobody's going <laughs> to. The Vikings lost their last six games of the Les Steckel regime all by 30 points or more. All of them. Not an average of. They lost them all by at least 30 Points. Incredible, incredible. And you know what that's the why was. Bud said, fuck it, I'm coming out of retirement. Right. And he brought Jerry Burns back with him. They did. You catch that. So, Jerry apparently I, had retired too. Was, ah, fine, I'll just quit. Jerry ended up coaching them after that. They didn't show Jerry, but they do in, in the in the whatever shovel that he used to, to comb his hair. <laughs> but they did. Uh, so is that, I, I thought it looked, because we've talked about Jerry Burns more than any healthy Bears fan should, but. I I, I I thought I, the the story was I know way too much now about the Vikings than I than I should, but that Jerry Burns expected to be named as Bud Grant's successor, and that I thought he threatened to quit. But so maybe he actually okay. he left. Well, maybe I he may have. 
No, he may have. He may have quit. He eventually did get get the job, of course, because I think Grant only came back for this one season, yeah. by the way. In fact, that now that I look at it, and based on what we know now, it was, there were some politics involved. He came back to give his buddy Jerry the job. Like somehow, his successor was not handled in the way that Bud wanted, and he was and because they were so awful under under Les Steckel, he was he was able to bring himself back in and set things right. So yeah, whatever. I guess it worked because the Vikings don't have a lot of long periods of being shitty, to be honest. And they look at the, that one season's got to be one of their worst ever. Now, just to be clear, this, this Jerry Burns we're talking about is not the Jerry Burns who was uh, on the the Judd Hirsch sitcom Dear John or on uh, Justified. I believe you said he spelled his name differently or no? J-E-R-E. Where he, of course, no. he plays the great, played, the show's over, although I'm sure they'll bring it back because they reboot everything. He played the great Win Duffy. Unjustified. I, I apologize. I watched a lot of television in the 1990s, a lot of NBC television, but I did not watch Dear John. Yeah. Did just, there are only so many shows out there. Uh, let's see what else I learned in the first half. Um, yeah, so the, the Vikings basically had two goal line stands against the Bears, forced them into short field goals. The second one, a comically short 19 yards. By Kevin Butler. That was the one where Walter on third down was going to jump over the pile and uh, yeah. Joey Browner, right? But yep. nobody nobody blocked him. Grabbed him by the ankles before he could jump. Not yeah. a not a great uh, scheme. Yeah, not, not a great game for Walter, and that's fine because we just did that Vikings game, which was one of well, the greatest ones from '79. But OJ told Sorry. us he got, he got sore ribs. Yes, um, and he also has a huge part in the narrative of yes. tonight's match. He gave somebody so. else sore ribs. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Yeah, so they, yeah, when, when Butler makes the second field goal, Frank gets all excited. The Bears are up six to nothing. They're actually up six to three. <laughs> uh, right before the half, uh, Mike Richardson drops an interception, and like four plays later, Anthony Carter uh, catches a touchdown pass to go up ten to six. Yeah, the Vikings are up now. And Bears kick a field goal and make it ten to nine, and then the Vikings score to go up seventeen to nine. Although Frank uh, apparently misses that touchdown, and is that still before halftime? They, no, they this went is up after halftime. Half second half it was ten, okay. ten, got seven it, and a half it. time. Ten, six and a half time. Bears kick a field goal. Um, Vikings score a touchdown, and Mike Ditka says, "Fuck this, McMahon, you're in." Now McMahon be- had been, and I didn't see it on telecast as much as I'm sure I've seen it on NFL films. Their recaps of it, where with Jim um, clearly annoying Ditka on the sidelines. It's not obvious. They show it a couple of You could see it, You're especially right. if you know to look right. for it. He's, and of course, in his book, and in McMahon, with an exclamation point, one of the great autobiographies ever written, um, he talks about how he basically was just from the time. I think of the second goal line stand. He just badgered Ditka. I think McMahon's embellishing, but it is funny to watch. The first time, if you watch the video, 2953, there's like the first, looks a little bit like a caged animal, but he's by himself. And Namath talks a little bit about Ditka's so-called philosophy. Uh, They show him again uh, in this, uh, a little bit more in the second half. Um, uh, uh, What was he doing in the second? I I, I jotted it down. Um, 
it was well they, they, they show they show him without his helmet still but the third time's the funniest because he's got uh at 107 he's got his helmet on and Gifford's sort of like laughing because like but and he does go up to Dit- this is the this is the one he goes up to Dit- Ditka it, it's not incendiary but it is pretty funny when you know the context of what like McMahon's like now he's got his helmet on he's basically <laughs> without having to say anything he's telling Ditka all right I'm going I'm ready to go in now I, I, I did probably saw it did kept us cool. Like you don't sense that Ditka like reacts to what he says. That's why it does seem sort of underplayed, but he does say something and it's probably just like, get the fuck out of here or not a chance or like, leave me alone. I don't know what he's, we don't know what he says, but well, uh, he, he definitely was. I mean, one thing that we know happens, we know happened now that they didn't know at the time was that not only did he put his helmet on, he took Steve Fuller's helmet and he went and he filled it with nachos and cheese. <laughs> And gave it to Steve, and said, "Here you go." But he see if he can finish this. And that was the that was pretty much the end. Well done. And you can right. see a very confused Mike Tomczak too on the sidelines, hoping he doesn't have to go in. Yeah. And the, the fans at home not knowing yet that we also really do not want him to go in. But Correct, because I don't think we'd see. We obviously hadn't seen him. It's only the third him, game of the season. Pre- oh, I'm yeah. sure we saw him lighted up in preseason, like every other bear. We may have, although although starters played more in preseason then. I will say that. Well, I'm sure McMahon was hurt. Well, yeah. All right. So uh, now we're going to get to the actual. Uh, so if you if you want to follow along at home, and I, you know, I don't know why, you, I'll, I'll put the link. You watch the game if you want. Uh, but we're going to start it here at uh, uh, right the highlights. Right about one twenty one. Um, they come back from commercial. The Vikings had just scored to go up eight. Actually, I'm going to ask you just to back Let's it up back because it bit. is funny because there's a little bit of like a rise before the fall. All right. After after Jan Stenerud's extra point, I think I had one twenty one. And this is where we're at again. Vikings Grant's back. They beat the defending champs. The old swagger's back. The Bears are going to go back to sucking. That's what the world looks like at this moment in time. They're playing him loose. He splits the two linebackers oh, right here. Singletary didn't yeah. get over to the strong side. You can't let him inside down there either. You're playing over his nose. You've got to make him go outside. Well, and in fairness to Singletary, you never know who's supposed to be covering whom in this type of defense. Just say Ryan who. Has on defense. <laughs> they better find out. It's going to be a long season. Just makes it 17 to 9. I love Sorry, that, I didn't uh, to talk over that. Well, I, I love that Namath. Rhetoric. Namath is like, well, if they don't figure that out, it's going to be a long season. Yeah, because the Bear defense in 1985, uh, <laughs> right. Joe was all nice. over it. They were going to struggle. But yeah, yeah, it was 17 to 9. And we have a 17 Oh, game. there's the stupid horn. The Vikings, they're 2-0. and They beat San Francisco in the opener. They beat Tampa Bay. They lead the Bears. And then what happened, Frank? I think we now know what Ditka, how he measures the catastrophe. Jim McMahon is going to come into the game. We were told he would not be in unless something catastrophic happened. He has his helmet on. Steve Fuller has his helmet off. Maybe the catastrophe is measured by eight points down midway in the third quarter. <laughs> See, Frank knew there it was eight points. He's going to forget. Right. Also, uh, Ditka fashion check, because what, I've, what I've, I'm really delighted in and that we've done about four games in the era, there's always like a, a completely different Ditka look. I, I never realized as a kid growing up that Ditka possessed such uh, a diversity of, 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 of looks. And so just for the record, uh, nice stripe button-down dress shirt, uh, tie, hair is trimmed, uh, so it's only slightly curly. I I guess I always have assumed that that was a uh, that was a Tom Landry kind of thing. 
You know, Landry always wore the suit and the hat, and that was and Ditka. I, but, but I don't know if paying homage even, until I don't he finally if, said "fuck it" and wore the iconic sweater vest instead. But I don't know that Ditka necessarily came right in doing that all the time. Is is kind of my no. I kind of feel that. like he felt like I, I just felt like that was kind of the inspiration well, for it. He. When he wore that outfit, when that when that selection came up for a particular week, I think he he was very conscious of his mentor that that in a sort of a this sort of biblical Christian salvation sense, kind of saved Ditka after he'd kind of played his way out of Chicago and bottomed out in Philly. So there was always that little bit of that piety, that rare piety that Ditka had that was kind of deferential of Tom Landry. So uh, yeah, seventeen and nine, and Jan Stenberg is going to kick off, and he's got to kick off to uh, the greatest. Brit- returning tandem in Bears history because, you know, Devin Hester, only one man, but it's Willie Galt and Pinky Gentry. I mean, come on, user, just kick it out of bounds, Jan. Why, By the don't way, even risk it. In the first half, one last thing, Galt in the first half returned a kick to about the 38, and Gifford told us accurately, I assume, um, that it was the longest kickoff return of Willie Galt's career, and that would change in dramatic fashion in 10 days, and that's all I'm going to say. Deep for the Bears. Gentry is back there, 29. Willie Galt. Willie Galt has come close to hopping two of them tonight. Keep in mind he has that world-class sprinter's speed five times in Tennessee. He took a kickoff for a touchdown, one short of the NCAA record. Oh, wow. Don Stenerud will put it up. He definitely was a world-class athlete. Vikings leading 17-9. Willie Galt wants it. But he had to let Dennis Gentry take it. Don't step right in front of him. And Gentry goes to the 30-yard line. Out comes Jim McMahon. We told you. So uh, when they lined up for the kickoff, the ball gets kicked to the um, the Bears' left hash, I guess, going. Uh-huh. That was the side Willie was on. I know. So Pinky right. must have run over and cut him off to return I don't the know kick. What, yeah, I don't know what, what the deal is with that. Maybe Willie didn't want it in that particular one. Maybe because he was saving up for this uh, next play. I don't know. It could have been it. All right. So Jim McMahon is, is coming in and a uh, uh, little punk kid on his on a couch in Durand, Illinois. He's very excited. Yeah, as is yeah the entire the entire region. The entire pinch nerve in his neck. He was in traction after the game on Sunday. Has not worked out this week. Ditka was pretty positive he would not play. He said he needed to practice if he was going to play. And his two wins over Tampa Bay and New England. Davis 36 of 55, 65.5%, three touchdowns, a couple of interceptions. We told you earlier, missed seven games last year. All of the playoff games with a lacerated kidney as Fuller. Started four of those last six games of the season. But here he is, Jim McMahon. So um, YouTube decided that they, they'd like to play an ad now. That's so. all right. Doesn't every it, home in the U.S. It's, 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 but it's not, nice, we're not going to listen to their stupid free ad. It's a nice lead up, though. Uh, Gifford was actually somewhat succinct and clear, I think, um, going right up to that snap. Yeah, he actually did a nice job of setting it up. Yep. Young University has taken over for the Bears. Pressure on the first play oh. and right open. I love it. Does Willie Galt forget it. If he gets behind you, it's over. And McMahon paid the price, but he got the touchdown. 70-yard touchdown. He really got hammered just as he released the ball. Uh, 
Joe Namath screaming, I love it, <laughs> right in the middle of the uh, of Willie it's, running it's, it's, a, it's kind of fun. I'll allow that. I'll give Joe some points for that, actually. The enthusiasm, at least that's in character with Broadway Joe. He's seen a, a swashbuckling quarterback that he's probably taken a little bit of a liking to, like, pull this shit off. What was that, a 60-yard pass? 70. 70-yard pass. Man. First, first snap, folks. So... And that's Johnson was coming on the blitz. I don't know whether he was the man that got him, but what a great shot hitting Willie Galt right in stride. Well, Walter Payton made it happen because he picked up that middle linebacker who who timed his blitz perfectly. Watch 55. Watch Watch 55, OJ. No, it's not OJ. OJ would have blocked the wrong guy. He would have got Would have got Joe Ferguson killed. It tells us to watch the guy that Mark Bortz is not having any, I assume it's Bortz or... Possibly fair. It's not having any trouble with. 52. Walter Payton picked him up. Nope. The blitz was perfect. And a beautiful no pass by McMahon to one great of the fastest pass, humans. Great block. Great reception. Great route. <laughs> McMahon <laughs> never saw the completion. He was buried right after yeah, he delivered the ball to Willie Gull. So lightning has struck. When I was uh, young and able enough, I would it's the first play of more than 30 yards that the Vikings have given up this year. That was 70 yards. Butler for the conversion. This game is back to within one point. Um. So, why did it, why didn't it go for two and tie it? <laughs> oh, that's right. There's not a rule in making a such a such a simpler game, at least for coaches. Couldn't go for two. Nope. Yeah. So. Uh, just the whole idea that he badgers his way into the game, and on the first play, he throws a 70-yard touchdown pass. And, Pretty ballsy. Uh, it was all with just – there's no other way to, to see that, man. He just totally – no. it's just – what a moment. Like you said, you're you're a 12-year-old kid. I'm a 13-year-old kid. It was just an incredible moment to see a guy. It just – this is why we love sports. That's all I want to say. Well, the Vikings tried to fool Jim there. They knew it was his first play of the game. He was excited. They figured they'd come with the all-out blitz and fool him, but Jim read it perfectly. And I have to reiterate what O.J. said. That was absolutely great play by Walter Payton picking up that blitz. And there is Willie Gall with the Can great speed. He was wide open. But Willie Gall, uh, we will say a lot of things we have and we will. Um, I ran into a neighbor of mine and we started talking about the bears and he told me something that I thought was completely, he was full. He had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. And he told me that, uh, that we talked about this game because he, he listens, uh, Caesar listens, actually got a real life neighbor that, that tunes in and, and we somehow were talking and I said, well, we're, you know, we're, we're probably going to do this game. And we talk about this touchdown that just happened. And then he's like, isn't that crazy that he only has his only touchdown that he scored that year? And I thought he was full of shit. And I looked it up and it was, and that's not even a knock on Willie. He had like a really good start to his career. He had eight touch, touchdown receptions as a rookie. And he t- t- you know, tapered off the next year. Um, he did catch one in the Super Bowl. Uh, but yeah, fun fact. This is the only touchdown that Willie Gall uh, caught. All season, and he started all sixteen games. Just kind of and, weird. This is a very '80s thing. He is standing in front of the camera on the sidelines, basically doing the high mom. Wait till Silky D does it. But it was such a well-thrown ball. Willie might very well be saying hi, just looking at himself. 
Yeah, I think he's saying he arrived. His back for the Vikings. Kevin Butler will put it in play. 17-16. Minnesota still leading and a beautiful kick by Butler. Uh, we don't see a bust arrive. The Minnesota Vikings will have it on oh, the 20-yard line. Here's but, Joe. Uh, Butler got five extra yards because uh, they um, Vikings lined up offsides on the extra point, so then he could boot it right through the end zone. Now we're seeing a very young-looking Joe Namath. With a, with a solo shot, like in the frame, it's like a, the, the camera's on Joe and nobody else. Here's me talking it into a tennis ball, too. <laughs> Just right for the Bears on that play. It was pretty good defensive philosophy. A quarterback comes in the game, he's cold, he's a little bit nervous, so let's put the pressure on him. Well, it didn't work that it's time, obviously. Jim McMahon's too smart for it, along with Walter Payton. Walter Payton did a terrific job picking up Dennis Johnson right there, and Willie Galt in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Well, we all know by now, he's very difficult to keep up with. What a pass by Jim McMahon. Great, great play, all-around offensive play, fine play. McMahon held it to, until he saw Galt clear. He never saw the completion. 70-yard touchdown to Willie Galt. Great effort made possible by an all-around football player, Walter Payton. First and 10, the Vikings leading by one. Kramer, and that ball almost picked off. Mike Richardson had a good shot at it. It's incomplete. It'll be second down and 10. So one of the things, Frank is going to continually refer to the last time Tommy Kramer faced the Bears, and he threw five touchdowns. And then he says, oh, that was 1982. <laughs> like, all right, Frank, that's a completely different Bear team, basically, than this what, is what he's funny. playing. It, it happens to be equidistant in time from the 79 Vikings game that we did a few yeah. weeks ago, which also starred Tommy Kramer. So I guess if nothing else, you know, uh, it, it, it's a reference point, I, you know, I suppose like that I think has a tendency to even fire up the Bears defense as well you know they have the leader back in there talking yeah, he's to uh, McKinnon today in the, in the meeting he said Jim McMahon just Bears fires up the team when he's in there he's a heck of a leader a heck of a competitor and it looks like he's picked up the defense as well Willie Gall now having his finest game of his pro career five receptions on the night 132 yards the 170 yard touchdown did he just say that it's Willie Gall's finest game already? in the third quarter in that kind of a Sorry. football game. Oh, I, I believe it was his, wasn't his, his career high for yards already. No! He caught two touchdowns from Walter Payton. The defensive player is a rookie. Kramer spinning out of trouble again. And this time, fires it up there, gets it to Leo Lewis, who makes a super catch. That is one of the most difficult catches in football. So that's very frank. It, you can see, you can read Steve Jordan's name. Oh, that's a nice pass to Leo Lewis, who makes a tough catch right there. Toughest catch you can make. <laughs> he did like, call Leo Lewis. Like his, uh, Frank, can you read? <laughs> it's not even two different receivers. I think they talk about how small, or maybe it was, it was Carl. Well, look, Leo they're, Lewis they're, seems small. Now, they, really really they're standing right next to each other right here. <laughs> Steve Jordan is twice the size of Leo Lewis. They're literally right next to each other. And then Frank goes into this long... Uh, explanation of how the low pass is the hardest one. I this is a guy who a screenshot of that. So, <laughs> when uh, um, who was the guy that knocked Frank out for a year? The guy from the Eagles, Chuck uh, Bednarik. Chuck Bednarik. Um, <laughs> would Frank wish he had been bending over for a low pass instead of just running head high right by Chuck? Probably. Ball that is incredible. 
Richard Dent <laughs> like, again pressuring like Tommy Kramer out of the pocket. First and if down I was Minnesota. If I was Richard Dent, I'd go straight to the official. I don't know how they missed that holding penalty. He's talking to the official True. now. He beat his man at the line of scrimmage. It, Kramer was dead to me. And he ramping up here. <laughs> All right. Well, we missed the first oh, I'm one. I'm so, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over an OJ double entendre. Yeah. So um, on the Willie Galt, on the replay of the Willie Galt um, touchdown, OJ says something that now, in hindsight, is uh, hilarious and chilling. He says, Willie Galt is one of the fastest people, a long pause, living. Sounds there like a threat. an infinite treasure trove of double entendre. And here what he just said was, he was talking about Dent was, was complaining to the ref that he got held. And uh, I'll just get to find it. So we, can, we might as well listen to OJ. Yeah, statement. play it again. No, because I, I talked over it. I didn't mean to. I was, you know. Still laughing about Frank. Remaining in the third quarter. It's been that kind of a football game. That's the first big play we've had. But it has been, I promise you, a hard-hitting game. Good defensive play on the part of both clubs. Kramer spinning out of trouble again. And this time, fires it up there. Gets it to Leo Lewis, who makes a super catch. That is one of the most difficult catches in football, pulling it off your shoestring. He never corrects himself, Again, pressuring Tommy Kramer out of the pocket. First and if down I was Minnesota. Richard, if I was Richard Dent, I'd go straight to the official. I don't know how they missed that holding penalty. He's talking to the official now. He beat his man at the line of scrimmage. Kramer was dead meat, and he was grabbed. <laughs> jersey was grabbed from behind. He was dead I'm telling meat. you, folks, the man knows what he's talking about. Richard Dent was, yeah. I mean, if I was Richard Dent, I would act like, uh, like that man was delivering glasses to my ex-wife's house. Oops, that's what I would say. I'm so. Oh, I'm sorry. Time machine. Nine years early. Nine oh. years too early. Oh, yeah. Oh, just still a rising star. First down, 30-yard line. Kramer looking it over. Wanted to go outside to Leo Lewis. He had to finally check it off to Alan nope. Rice. Once again. Uh, oh, incomplete. I'm sorry. He did have that right. Minnesota, they have to throw the ball deep now, Joe. These guys are just sitting on those short passes now, and they're just taking shots at the ball when it's released. You, but that last time, I, I didn't know there was a, you see there's a female Ragnar? Kramer is. Early. But with one-on-one -on -one coverage, uh, I'd like to see him go deep, too. Last time, Tommy Kramer. Played against these Bears, he really blew them away. 35 to 70 at five touchdowns. What was that, Frank? 340 yards. Give us the year. That was back in '82. He hasn't played <laughs> against the Bears since then because of injuries. He missed four, missed four games against them, but it's still relevant. Right. Meanwhile, this Jim Fink's nowhere built, to go. Yeah. Down goes Kramer inside the 25 to 24. It's a, a fact that he holds yards. on to. He just has to get it out there. Irrelevant. Third down oh, third and 16. This should be fun. I promise you, those four down linemen. Dent, Hampton, McMichael, and Hartenstein will just let it fly. The protection is picked off, however. This is Wilbur Marshall. You know, it's as much it's as good as a punt, Tommy. Right. Marshall the, brings it back to the 25-yard line. Player. That time, Kramer had a lot of time. A poorly thrown ball is picked off. I think that's the first time tonight that first career. Minnesota didn't show the patience that they need. They still have a one-point lead. And I think they should have been a little more patient, try to get a little of it back, punch it's the ball, and hope 16, that they do the job. They've been doing it all night. Wilbur Marshall it's not a big did deal. an excellent job of reading it and does a Put, fine job of running with the ball. Yards here. It His first career interception, and it gives the Bears the ball inside the 26-yard line of the Minnesota. 
So a nice, nice shot of Wilbur with a popped collar back from his days, uh, probably sure, uh, in Gainesville. Ahead of his time. Yeah, pos- quite possibly. Yeah, yeah so we learned there that's uh, Wilbur's first career uh, interception. So a, a couple of firsts, Wilbur's first pick and Buster Rhymes, n- not the rapper, but the, the, the football player after whom the rapper named himself gets his first reception in this game. So that's pretty cool. And we had, we had seen Mike Richardson drop two interceptions already in this game. But that mm-hmm. one was apparently Tommy's first mistake of the day. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing. I guess that, it's not a mistake to throw the ball near Mike Richardson because he's not going to catch it. The other thing is that we've talked about some of these games. I think we may have broken one or two down. I, the Packers game might have been an example where the defense was just, just a little bit, uh, you know, kind of just takes them a while sometimes to get revving up, you know. And, uh, yeah, the McMahon thing helped because they, they, they were in trouble. and they were, they were in legitimate trouble in this game. Remember, too, the Bears won the first 12 games of the season and they, you know, were knocking on the door of history and that could have all gone for not here in week three. Uh, but it is funny that once McMahon comes in, it wasn't always just McMahon, but there are a lot of times where the defense or the offense couldn't get going. The defense gives up a few touchdowns. It happened in week one when they gave up 28 first-half points. It's just so funny that once the game kind of settles down and the Bears slowly take the lead, in this case it was quickly, but the defense then just becomes this, like, just this assault machine uh, for the rest of the game. And that's pretty much where where it's starting to go from here. We're going to get an ad here again in a second. So after the – oh, crap. Having technical problems here. You got it. After the uh, interception and Wilbur's return, the Bears now have the ball on the Viking 25. 33 remaining in the third quarter. Minnesota leading Chicago 17-16. McMahon firing McKinnon. Touchdown. McMahon has thrown two footballs tonight. Two touchdowns, a 25 He's only throwing two? He didn't warm up? Earlier, a few moments ago, if you were not with us, a 70-yarder to Willie Gulp. This is hard to believe. Does he make things happen, positive things for this offense? Andy. I'm going to ask you to play this again, only because uh, I'd like to real quickly draw a, a comparison to Frank Gifford and the aforementioned Pat Summerall. The, um, because... All right, they're both. They were both contemporaries, and the oddities where they went into broadcasting and became play-by-play guys. They were former NFL players. This sounds like a Summerall call, but the Summerall call was like calculated by Pat. This play, I think, like Gifford sounds confused, <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong, and that's why I asked just to play it again because it, it, it he's minimalistic, but it, it's like it doesn't. Uh, I don't know. That maybe I'm maybe I'm now just piling on Frank, but it just sounded. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, save, it's that for, save that for the stewardesses. It's, it's <laughs> remaining in the third quarter. Minnesota leading Chicago 17-16. McMahon firing McKinnon. Uh, I guess touchdown. not. I, I think it's been McMahon harsh. Has two footballs th- thanks for sharing that again. Two I touchdowns. It both times. A 25-yarder there to McKinnon. Earlier, a few moments ago, if you were not with us, a 70-yarder to Willie Gulp. This is hard to believe. Does he make things happen? Positive things for this offense. They actually seem less sub- more subdued on this one. Yeah. Things, things are getting more exciting, and they're like, oh, he's right. 
Okay, so that's a, not just me. It's an odd play. It's a it's a rollout to his left. So he's rolling out against his body. And clearly, it's supposed to just be a simple pass into the flat. And the Vikings must have taken it away. Because then you see him not only look upfield, but have to turn his whole body. And he throws a pass that Joey Brown are just about intercepts. And he's falling backwards while he throws it. So it is kind of awesome in that imp- improvisational sense. And I'll be honest, I didn't quite remember this play like in that way I've, in my head it was three bombs but it kind of kind of adds to it now that i've seen it again because it was just sort of a improvisational mcmahon play that worked out it was lucky and mckinnon's a tough guy that's going to pull that yeah. one in too get up there speed can get to the interception defensively that ball hung up there but like it's joey brown perfectly timed so he's not good right kevin butler for the conversion and the bears have Retaking the lead. But they do seem pretty subdued. Maybe I'm disappointed as a Bears fan that they're not more excited. But... Game. And this man has put some electricity into it. Jim McMahon. Yeah, I Colorful, feel it, Frank. fun, and rather skillful. Two of two, 95 yards, two touchdowns. Is that good? Seems good. And there's Jim McMahon doing the high mom. So two passes, the two stationary high mom The man blinked. Finally. Yeah. Jim's feeling good. He is intense. I think he feels very special. Saying hello to his lovely wife, Nancy. I know she's sitting at home on the edge of her seat and certainly concerned because... Why did you get to drop her name, Joe? (laughs) Joe, hey, Nancy. I know you're alone. Maybe I could... Where where exactly are you, Nancy? I'd like to be on the edge of your seat, too. Let's take a look at McKenna now, Joe, in isolation. a little... Yes, again, this is a fairly dangerous pass for some people to be throwing, but Jim, with the velocity, he he can throw the football. That's no point. Knows he can get it to him, and McKinnon just simply outruns Browner. It wasn't inside-outside coverage by Browner and Vest, but neither one of them kept up with him. It is kind of a lucky thing McKinnon didn't get decapitated. Yeah. He's right-handed, of course. Was able to get the was, was I think Browner was, uh, was the inside guy, <laughs> not the That's true. The <laughs> yeah, because he hit people. The catastrophe quarterback. The catastrophe two quarterback. Two He's big on that. Frank, second let it go. Just like Buddy Curry. Line. Kramer gets it to Anderson. And Anderson is met at the 25-yard line. The game Dorsen. is about three. It'll bring up second and seven. Tell us who that is. There it is. Spotter got to him. So we've seen Wilbur and Dave Dorson, the two replacement players in 85. Kramer dancing around, but he finds Anderson, and Anderson <laughs> slips, but he oh, man, gets the first down over the 35-yard line. Defensive, about ready to A good move by Anderson, finding the dead spot in there, and they have to give the offensive good line move falling down. Vikings credit. Tommy had a lot of time back there to find the receiver. Oh, it doesn't happen often. Having returned this year, now in his 18th season, four Super Bowls, all of them lost well, by the Minnesota yeah, That's right. Vikings. Yeah. One of the things I don't think Bud gets enough credit for is not only did he coach in and lose four Super Bowls, but he did a nice job uh, playing the uh, the old uh, sergeant in uh, White Christmas. <laughs> I've never. I'm sorry. I've never actually seen White Christmas. I thought you were going to go with a Harry Morgan reference. Won this simple division. Colonel Potter. Of course, the Bears won it for the very first time with a 10 6 record. First yeah, is that the part where they say the Bears won their first title of any kind since 1963? Right, because NFC Central. 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 Yep, at the North. That was their first one. But of course, their first of five in a row. Gain of seven. 
This is one of the reasons and Minnesota should have showed a little more patience on that third and long before. I think that was the first time they've Oh, there's Darren Nelson. Darren Nelson. Very successfully here in the second half, doing just what they're doing now. A few you know, runs and short passes. The third down there's just a, a banner on the wall back there that just says, go Mike Malarkey. Mike Malarkey fan club. Yep. How many future coaches are on this field? You got Singletary and Frazier. Anderson gets away from McMichael, but not Dan Hampton. It's fun to see him swarm. Look at all those awesome players. Third down and five. Third and five. What's going to happen here? Oh. Ooh, even better. Third and ten. Here comes your ref. Yeah, one of those yeah. I'm out of up. breath. False start, number 71, offense, still third down. It's, it's not out of Things breath. There's just something funny about how he talks. Here in the third quarter. Good old number 60. Yeah. There's no Jerry Mark. Dick Jurgensen. Jurgensen. And now moving on the line. Oh, baseball Ooh, scores. Baseball scores. Uh, so, yeah, the, should be the, the Tigers over the Yankees. Series. Yep, yep. The Angels over the White Sox won nothing, and, and that was in the seventh. And, and uh, ev eventual World Series champion Kansas City Royals uh, embroiled in a 2-2 tie in yeah, the seventh with, inning. With Sietke. Yeah, they would win the World Series, by the way, thanks to Don Denkinger. Cheers to Kansas City yep. and yep. Don Denkinger. No problem with that. Of course, leads the Yankees and the Americans. Look like a good call to me. Frank, will tell us about a baseball happening uh, going on tonight when the Vikings punt before, uh, I think, at the, at coming up at the end of this drive. So now, Frank, I think Frank has baseball in his mind. There you see part-time action in baseball in the American League. Third down and 10 now for the Vikes. They're not picking this. Hey, nice pass, Tommy. There's nobody. Going in the general direction of Buster Rhymes. The general direction. Frank with some shade. Tommy. Oh, they're getting booed. Yeah, they got booed after the la after their last three and out too. Greg Coleman comes out now. The, putter from Minnesota the friendly Swedes and Norwegians have turned on the, the on the Vikings. I think it was earlier, unless he says it now. I think it was earlier. No way. Greg Coleman's cousin, brother Vince, stole his 100th face. Cousin brother. His cousin brother stole his 100th face tonight. <laughs> For the Cardinals. On the night that Vince Coleman steals 100 bases as a rookie, Coleman. Frank Gifford does him the honor of confusing the whether or not he's cousin or brother of the Vikings. Corner. Good coverage by the Vikes. They hold McKinnon short at the 32-yard line, where it'll be first and 10. 40 now, on that, you, uh, Silky D did something you don't you don't see these days. Because it was a short punt, he caught that on like a dead sprint. Coming and then kept running. That is a yeah. good way uh, to get your head knocked off of the rest of your body. Or yeah, or get paralyzed. One yard punt, eight yard return, but a flag is down. Uh oh, somebody cheated. The Vikings. Yeah, he's done Bring it back. We're doing it again. Procedure. Oh, there. No, Vince the Coleman's cousin brother is going to have to punt again. No, Jim McMahon came out, waved it off. So give me the ball. I want to throw another turn. Right. I'm hot. I'm hot. I've only thrown. I've only thrown two footballs tonight, according to Frank. I haven't even warmed up. And they do indeed oh, decline the penalty, so the Bears will have a first and ten, the ball at the 32-yard line. Quick count by McMahon. He of course, another it one. doesn't happen right away, but it almost does. 
But Galt wouldn't have scored there. That's why he didn't catch it. That would have been three for three. And McMahon is just missed one. You might want to see he dropped it at about the McMahon underthrew it, I think, though, did he? These are the passes Willie normally do. Yeah, we had to slow down. Yeah, he see, has him. The ball, he's kind of fading see, back and outside yeah. a little bit. Yeah, like so OJ starts. Simple, uh, OJ starts have, uh, by saying these are balls that Willie really normally catch, catches. I think yeah, I know no, yeah, OJ, he catches balls throw, when he's actually, got nobody within 10 yards. I wouldn't tell you he could have had it. It would have been a darn good catch. Well, that's the only way he could have caught yeah, it. Would have been a tough catch. It was not a great throw. He's trying to catch it, keep some stride, and get into the end zone. Whatever, assholes. Second down and ten. Again, quick count by McMahon. Oh, the great Kenny Martrum. Martrum, former Stanford All-American, has first down yardage out of... Kids, if you're wondering, uh, Kenny Martrum was the Cooper Cup of his time. I would say uh, a contemporary, you could say the poor man's Steve Largent. For the 45-yard line. He's got white shoes on, though. Yeah, Willie, too. He did. Famous that black shoes in the Super Bowl. He was looking slower. He is giving about his... And the only the and the right. one bear that I was able to exchange a high five uh, during the parade. Just about he was on top of the bus. According to the stats he just showed, he had over a thousand yards in his career there, which would have made him like the third all-time <laughs> Bears receiver. Maybe, hey, might still he might still Kenny, be number three. Kenny Mar Kenny Marjoram was very good his first couple of years Marjoram when he was healthy. Back he actually was. Bad knee surgery a year ago. Missed all of last year. Oh, I think this might be the start of, of knee talk during the broadcast. Where Joe gets really into everything. All the guys with bad knees like him. Remaining in the third quarter, McKinnon in motion. Movement and contact before the ball More cheating by the Vikings. So Thayer's in here now. I think uh, some kind of a yeah, Becker was in earlier. Early. Yeah, I, yeah, he was injured a lot early. He, he really basically lost his job in injury. Not to take anything there. But in the interior, so not a good start for Tommy. Oh, that was on Thayer. Yeah, way to go, Tommy. They teach you that shit with the blitz. Is that what happened? At right guard. It's like George Chris Allen Becker, was, who was a questionable starter tonight because of the bruised back and tailbone. Oh, look at the graphics on ABC. The little the little bar charts you know, it actually appears to move. me that the Bears certainly Woo. aren't going to set on this. Earlier in the game, they showed up. They had a drive chart, and it was they showed the field. And then there were these little squiggly lines to show where the passes went, what yards they went from. It was the, the height of technology. Uh, on the other side, they know they need to get some more points. They're going full Who's the cool guy, man, with the sunglasses on at night in the dome? Exactly what I was wondering. Man, that ball incomplete. Another ball bounced off really. Does not hold on. Short of the first down. James Van Ness is on the sidelines, but I would caught that. Put me in, Second coach. down and 15. Right. I think, did we have a co-problem with James Van Ness? I think it is. Is that 81? Was he was a catastrophe quarterback. If Fuller went down, we presume Tomzak went down. Fuller Something. struggled through the first half. Early oh, but Van's numbers going to the tank. He's now three for five for 108 yards. He instantly, on the first play, hit Willie Galt for a 70-yard touchdown. They got the ball back a few moments later on an interception. He went right through the air again on his second pass of the game. He hit Dennis McKinnon from 25 yards out. The Bears in the lead, 23-17. Get ready to update that recap, Frank. Down and out over the Minnesota defense, second down, 15. No, That's Willie Gull. Willie with a stiff Gull, arm. Close to a first down. Woo. I think he, he got him the first down. Isaac Colt. Getting Gull a lot of room. Way too much room. Kiss I was going to say to Joe, that was a record cushion 
on a receiver. <laughs> Look at right there, your eyes are jokes. Must have been 15 yards away from Willie Gall. I think we're gonna have a Galt had his eye right on that first down marker. I say when you're dealing with a guy who probably would have been a sprinter or perhaps even a hurdler in I the 84 Olympics, he's not signed a fair right contract. Yeah. Well, you're going to give him a little bit. Gotta bring the chains all the way across the field. <laughs> and I believe they've grown uh, to <laughs> it's laying on top of the Jim marker. McMahon's arm. They're going to have to well. move the marker to move the chains. Try anything out there. They want to give plenty of room. Galt, not much short for the first down. Good thing they measured, I guess. Shows what we know. Right. Well, now six receptions, 148 yards. One it's a big down. day for Willie. It, yeah, probably his best That's individual game of the season since we've already established. As a number one draft pick. His only touchdown. But he did have eight touchdowns as a rookie. So he kind of came in with a flash. Well, Jim McMahon. I suspect he'll go with a long count here. He's been going on short counts. He would like to draw the bikes offside. I'm quite sure of that. I think he does, isn't he? Or not? Maybe Payton not. It's a setback. And McMahon. Yep. There you go. So the, the quarterback the right, the couldn't play because he was in traction. Pinch nerve in his neck. Third and inches with the greatest running back of all time That's behind him. I'll just run a section after the game. This, this is the Jim McMahon game. Sunday. Which the Bears only has a role seven. as a blocker, but an awesome one. Spent a couple days in the hospital. Joe, you were down visiting with him. He had a big horse collar around his neck. He looked like he was really in agony, didn't he? <laughs> when I first he was eating oats out of a bag, Frank. He was holding oh. court with about 20 newsmen, and he had this huge harness around his neck. Did you tell him you were going to go check on Nancy? I was told him I'd go do a wellness check on Nancy. I got to tell you what, Nancy, my neck works. Just don't ask me about my knee. Hey! Third touchdown pass tonight for McKinnon. Unreal. Third drive. And he is blowing this game away. He makes things happen. They don't know what to say. Now, Great maybe that's good. By McKinnon. He never gave up on McMahon. He kept full stride. I'm just surprised that like, they're, they're, they're not, watching. they're so, they feel He's looking subdued. Back. He knows what's going on. McMahon will be chased out of the pocket touchdowns. right here. There he is. He takes a look. Now, he knows what McMahon can do. He tries to give him the plane in which to hit him. Got and he's right the there. It's hard Great to blame route. a defensive back when a receiver can run that far that's a good and route. still catch a pass. Well said, Arenthal. A lot James. of protection. Uh, McMahon did an excellent job. Bears are taking this point, and the wings blocking on the extra point are uh, Ron Logan Rivera Logan. and Wilbur Murphy. Wow. The, first, the second and first round draft pick, respectively, numbers. the year before. Five of seven, 166 yards, and three <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> and McKinnon is having another big day. Yeah, see, this is Silky D's time in the camera. I know Willie Cox is a movie star, but Dennis ain't going to back down. He's got a whole lot to say. 43-yard touchdown. He had a 25-yard touchdown. McMahon hit Willie Cox oh, with a 70-yard touchdown. Well, there's an old saying that if you can back it up, it ain't bragging. Yeah, old saying. And McKinnon was in the paper <laughs> all week this week with statements that there was no way the Vikings could beat them, that they were a better team and it would be no game if these guys played their ball game. And I gather right, this somebody. is Chicago's ball game. I've never seen them play quite like this. But that was a tremendous pass. Well, tremendous let's see. Kind of true. Running to his left and throwing the ball 50 yards. He's got some yeah. kind of arm. Incredible. 
Steve Fuller, Ed Hughes. Seems like Ed Hughes. I could have done that. Do you know I was a Rhodes Scholar? I mean, he shouldn't even be sweating hardly. There's Frank. They were down one point when Jim McMahon came back. No, they weren't. down They almost don't even know what to make of I mean, OJ does make a point. I mean, it sounded it sounded simplistic. seems to permeate through the entire team. He was like, I've never seen the Bears like this before. I guess that's true. That's that's what made this team, you know, sadly so unique. Yeah. Usually they're just shit on offense. Right. So, yeah, so the Bears have turned a... Um, yeah, and, that, and this is, like, if you want to watch just that institutional brutality, it's the next, I guess, what is it, uh, 45 minutes of the Bears defense just teeing off. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it when I watched it. So, uh, I did a few things to look for if you're watching the game. Go to about... Um, Oh, 146 right. 20 it's and they a have a nice shot of the uh, of the Bears radio booth where you will see from left to right uh, Jim Hart Hall of Famer Dick Butkus and if you don't recognize the guy on the far right with the wispy that, blonde hair is that Dick Gephardt former Democratic yeah. presidential candidate it's a pre-toupee Wayne Larvey <laughs> That's pretty. That's and awesome. kids, if you didn't know Wayne wore a toupee, I can't help you. He basically had Super Dave Osborne's hair for the last thirty years. But there he is. I didn't realize how blonde he was. Why didn't he get a blonde tube? That are, you, are we sure that's that itself is the not all is, is he not already toupeed up there? Is that that itself old. I didn't remember Wayne Larrabee. That was his rookie year, by the way. This is the first year of this crew. I, I didn't think of him ever as like a blonde. I wonder if it might be the. I thought he was brownish. Yeah, blackish. that's why I had to look a couple of times. Like, well, it has to be Wayne. It's funny that they There's... just disregard uh, former NFL all still today all time uh, Chicago, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Arizona Cardinal uh, passing leader Jim Hart and SIU Hall of Famer. They they only give credit to Butkin, which of course is completely fine. Well, the reason is because Joe now Joe all he wants to talk about are guys' knees. For the whole rest of the game, and nobody he talks had about more... he talks about how Dick is actually. We should probably play this because it's, it's you just wouldn't hear it today. He basically is like, "Oh, Dick says his knees are terrible." Yeah, yeah, and he did. Butkus had the most the, the goriest knee history of anybody. I feel like he's the best that I've ever seen. I don't think any player has ever played his position with more aggressiveness and intelligence than Dick Butkus. On first down, Kramer back again. Time to get it to Lewis one more time. I noticed the topic of the conversation is Joe was visiting with Dick Butkus. Had to do with those knees. That's your, that's your yeah, Dick's having knees. a lot of trouble with his knees right now. <laughs> and speaking of knees, that's Anderson. Second. Oh, maybe that was a clever segue. Because then they show the Viking running back with the ice bag on his knee. Maybe some Alfred Anderson. Frank to bring up knees. Um so later on, but just, you're right. Na- Namath is obsessed in this broadcast. Namath himself was sort of slowed down by knee injuries. Yeah, his, is he not? Right. His career ended early because of knee, and he was limited late in his career because of terrible knees. He had to retire early because of them. Uh, he talks about they uh, when they talk about Buster Rhymes that he used to play running back at um, Oklahoma. Then 
uh, Joe brings up Marcus Dupree and then talks about how Marcus has has just suffered a serious knee injury and his career might be over. And Frank and OJ just completely ignore it. It just <laughs> hangs there, horrible, uncomfortably. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> Joe these guys just wants to talk about knees. So for this this Monday night booth, it's I mean it's three pro football hall of famers. It's the most talented football booth they've ever assembled. It is just terrible. It's just a god awful right. booth. They're all bad at their jobs. Yeah, it is. This is like the this is like that period of Saturday Night Live, like after John Belushi and Gilda Radner and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and everybody left, but before like you know Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo kind of started turning it around before they kind of got some sort of a, you know, consistent, you know, formula, but there was a period where it was just awful. And I feel like this is the equivalent uh, of, of the history of Monday Night Football until of course they went to ESPN. Cause I can't speak to, they've been all kinds of ups and downs since they went to cable, but in the history of ABC Monday Night Football, this is really the nadir I would have to say. Yeah. So that would have been like the, uh, like even the pre like Tim Ke- Tim Keserinsky and Mary Gross, SNL. but that's yeah. Who was that's, the guy that, Charlie? Who was the, the guy Eddie who Murphy, swore? Um, Charlie uh, a Rocket. Uh, yes, he yeah, killed himself by slitting his own throat about fifteen years ago. Oh, by the way. That's, yeah. Well, hey, that respect. Sure, were you sure OJ wasn't around? <laughs> <laughs> that's bringing it full circle. Yeah. No, yeah, Mary. You're right, Mary Grove. They were other. They were part of that. Tim Kazarinski, I loved him. Chicago guy. He'd do that psychiatrist. They're like, if your brain is dead, but you're still singing, you have pericoma. And I don't. I just thought that was fucking hilarious. It's stuff like that. He would do those weird, you know. But but yeah, but there was a period before them. I, I don't think anybody notable was there. Maybe it was only like a two year period, and it was like that show could have been canceled. That yeah. instead, it it was kind of thrown a lifeline. But right. this, Lauren, Monday Night Football, was Lauren not came back and Eddie Eddie right. saved it. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren came back gone. and they. But Monday Night Football was not in danger of being canceled. But they needed to do some shit because this three this three man crew that they had going on was just like it was aimless, disjointed, and weird i mean this is an incredible ball game and it, it it's it's like kind of being counterbalanced by yeah this they didn't just... they did not rise to the occasion right they're like well, they kind of did on the first play at least joe yelled out during the first yeah. one joe was genuinely enthusiastic but the, the rest of it just always it seems feel, feel so stilted so yeah so that uh so the mckenna touchdown pass there was 43 yards that was the second in a row uh, that made it thirty to seventeen. Anthony Carter would catch a long pass from Tommy Kramer to pull the Vikings to within six in the fourth quarter. But then Kevin Butler made a field goal, and the Bears went up by nine, and that was the that was the winning margin. So Carter caught two, and I think his first one was his first as an NFLer. By the way, not that he had an NFL Hall of Fame career, but he had some notable moments. I I, I didn't actually watch this after. Good for you to follow it through or maybe you're just reading the recap yeah, yeah I, didn't anthony carter, I didn't finish anthony carter had himself a game and he would he have a bigger game against the niners in 87 when chris carter joined him but chris carter wouldn't hear yet yeah so uh anthony carter fresh off the usfl uh was a 25 year old rookie he would catch eight touchdown passes that season so um and he caught seven seven six four eight five um 
He had a better NFL career than I remembered, actually, overall. Because I was just thinking about that Niners upset, but he actually had a really good well, career. He, he would be the Bears' all-time leading receiver by uh, about by more than 2,000 Vikings. Is that, no, he would be has, the Bears. Oh, 7,000? Yeah. He's got 7,636. Oh. And what is he on the Vikings? Like fourth or fifth, probably? Or I mean, Ahmad Rashad was probably past that. And, you know, Randy Moss. Jesus Christ, the Vikings probably have. I'm going to say, I'm just going to, th- uh, since we're talking about it, the Vikings, have at least six. They might even have a tight end. Maybe a six, Joe Sensor. Six more than Johnny Morris? Six receivers who have more career receiving yards than Johnny Morris's 5,000 and whatever it is. Okay, you're, or... you're wrong. It's They have seven. That <laughs> went too low. Chris Carter, uh, 12,383. Then Randy Moss, who did his all in uh, 11 seasons, 93-16. Anthony Carter's third. Wow. Jake Reed, fourth. Sammy, he... Sammy White. Running back? No. Sammy White was he was White a receiver. receiver. He was Steve Jordan, who we saw in this game, is a tight end. So they do and have then a this end. season. Adam Thielen uh, would have moved Jesus past Christ. Johnny, and Ahmad Rashad is within just a few yards of Johnny. Oh, well, he retired. Johnny's over fifty five hundred, right? Ahmad's fifty four eighty nine. No, I thought Johnny. I'll look it up. I oh, thought no. just. Oh I no! The Johnny... indignity. It's, do we have eight? I, Johnny just cleared five thousand. I'm gonna I'll look that up while you stay there. But I'm pretty sure we've looked at it often enough. You'd think I one of us would have it committed to memory. I, I, I thought, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think uh, he had for the Bears five thousand and fifty nine yards. Oh shit! Well, yeah. So, uh, uh, so uh, incredible, just incredible. So, so Bobby Moore's got to beat Moore. then, huh? Bobby Moore by any name. Bobby okay. Moore, I'm obviously. And so. Who was the guy two ahead of Steve Jordan? I forget who you said who that was. Uh, Jake Reed. Uh, was Jake Reed a tight end too? No, he was, but he was a big one. He was a receiver. He was he was big, but he would have been there. Was he one... was there during the during the Chris Carter years. Right, but he was a rec- but he wasn't a tight end because Mm-mm. like like but, but before Randy Moss, right? He probably bridged yes. them from Anthony Carter to uh, Randy Him Moss. Him and Randy would have played together for like three or four years. Uh, but not a tight end, but Steve Jordan, obviously, in this game was. So the Vikings have at least one receiver with more career receiving yards than the Bears, leading all-time leading receiver. Oh, yeah, just Willie another. Jake Reed, wide receiver, 6'3", 216 um, from Grambling. That is big. All right. Yeah, HBCU. He... So then more, more bear indignity. Yeah, throw it on the pile. Someday, someday. We'll have a guy. Uh, but yeah, the Bears the Bears covered, and the game went over. So that's why wow, they covered. Imagine the gamblers at halftime of this game. Yeah, on both sides. Vikings were three and a half. Vikings were obviously getting three and a half at home, right? Or no? They were, were they giving? You said they, they were giving. giving Bears were three and a half point favorites because they were two and zero, oh, and Bud Grant was back, and they beat the Niners in Week One, and nobody really believed in the Bears yet. Wow. Yeah. So seventeen to nine. Right after uh, the first drive of the second half, they were feeling uh, pretty good. So, um, yeah, I mean, sure, Jim McMahon, yeah, fine. Um, 13 of 18 for 124 yards. Uh, no, sorry, that was Steve Fuller. Jim McMahon, 8 of 15 for 236 yards and three touchdowns. Wow. But Tommy Kramer, 28 for 55 for 436 and three touchdowns and three interceptions. Not quite as good as And his, he got sacked four games. times. Three years ago, only three. Okay, okay. 
It was, it was actually an improved performance for the Vikings because, you know, as we said, the Bears swept them the year before. We've talked about both games, one in which the Bears won the division on that turf late in the season, but the other one was when they sacked poor old 39-year-old Archie Manning about 11 times. Both games were blowouts. So, you know, Bud Grant, obviously, say what you want about him, but he, you know, pretty good coach. Uh, let's see, the Bears had interceptions by Leslie Frazier, Wilbur Marshall, which we saw, and Otis Wilson. Uh, they got sacks from – oh, they don't list sacks. They got four sacks, but why aren't they listed on the thing? Well, we saw McMichael get one. and I'm, I, I assume Dent had one. Yeah, a little disappointed in the uh, record-keeping there. Yeah, pro football is not quite the same as baseball reference. Yeah. Going to have to hire some kids to go back through the, and rescore yeah. all these games. Yeah. It's out there, folks. And I, it turns out, I would guess, I, it, was, it was hard to read, but I don't think it was a uh, Go Mike Malarkey banner that I saw. I believe it was a Go Mark Mullaney banner. Oh, we had a sack. Oh, no, there's sacks. Steve and Michael had two. Hampton had one. Dent and Ron, Chico, Ron Rivera. No, right. They, Chico they both me. had half a sack. Chico was the second round. So the Bears in 84 drafted linebackers in the first two rounds. Wilbur out of Florida and Chico out of, I think it was uh, Berkeley. Um, and Chico had a good career. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if Finks, was, Finks really went out in style at the end. But uh, Wilbur, I, my, my one thought, we saw that Wilbur and Dewarson got footage tonight. That, and I made a reference to them being replacement players, not quite in the same spirit as 87. But, of course, for those that might not remember, uh, the Bears had two very good players uh, on the 84 team that held out. Um, Todd Bell was a, a strong safety. And, and Al Harris, who was Dan Hampton's old colleague, another first-round pick in 79 who moved to outside linebacker. And they were replaced by Wilbur Marshall and Dave Dewarson. And I think I mentioned this before. I'm just going to say it one more time, that we felt Wilbur – throughout the course of the season was definitely an upgrade over Harris. We weren't so sure about Dewars because Todd Bell was such a hitter. Yep. I mean, we went for the Redskins game and, 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 and he was really developing. And, uh, but as it turned out that season, uh, Dave Dewarson, uh, earned a trip to the pro bowl along with like seven other bears and Wilbur didn't, which we thought he would. Uh, and Wilbur then subsequently took out his frustration on Joe Ferguson. Yes. The rest is history. Yeah, so we we talk about the 83 draft for the Bears. It's incredible. For a good reason. Uh, they drafted two Hall of Famers. Jimbo Covert, sixth overall, and Richard Dent, 203rd. He was the eighth-round pick. But they drafted, in one draft, they got Willie Galt, Jimbo Covert, Mike Richardson, Dave Dorson, Pat Dunsmore, uh, Tom Thayer, Mark Bortz, wow. Richard Dent, and, of course, Mark Zavignin. Rob Feta. Of course. Anthony I remember Hutchinson, Rob Feta. Rob Feta wore 64. Gary Worthy and Oliver Williams. Even Rob Feta hung around long enough for me to remember him. Hell of a draft. We could talk about it some other time because we're out here, but it is funny that Jim Finks uh, was actually on his way out because uh, he was, you know, kind of overridden when the old man came from down from the mountain to hire Ditka. Not Finks uh, hire, but he stuck around, thankfully, for the 83 draft. And, uh, Turned out that he'd be able to hang his head on the Bears thanks to 
I mean, he drafted Otis in 80 and Van Horn in 81, but it took them a while to develop. He drafted Hampton. He drafted Peyton. It didn't happen for Finks right away like it did in Minnesota and New Orleans. But that 83 draft is what really did it. He was pretty much gone when all those guys came, yeah. you know, came along. So, But I wanted to run down the 84 draft. Not quite as good, but, you know, he got Wilbur Marshall with the 11th pick, Ron Rivera with the 44th, Stephon Humphreys and Tom Andrews, so a couple of backups. 75 and 60, yeah. Yep. Uh, Nikita Robertson. From Central Arkansas, who never played for the Bears. Brad Anderson. It was in uh, this game, caught Mark, one of his only two receptions. Mark Casale, quarterback from Montclair State. The ninth round. In the tenth round, a round they don't even have, Sean Gale. Wow. And in the eleventh round, they took Mark Butkus from Illinois. Illinois, because he went to the Rose Bowl in the 83 Illinois team. Yeah, he was Butkus' nephew, actually. Um, were Stefan Humphreys and Tom Andrews both... In the black and blues poster? Yes. Wow. But Andy Frederick was not, I don't think. 71. He was in this game. He got in first now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good way to find out. Well, good, good offensive line, man. It's just, you know, this is one. We've talked, obviously, uh, before about how the NFC was uniquely dominant in the 80s. And the Bears are part of that discussion based on one season. This is it. So it's not, you know, you're going over all this talent. We're seeing it. And this was it in full effect. All right. Here's the Black and Blues Brothers, Black and Blues Brothers poster. Uh, it's from left to right. 60, Tom Andrews, Mark Bortz, Tom Thayer. 57. Uh, Keith Van Horn. 78. Jay Hilgenberg. 63. Kurt Becker. Tom Andrews. 79. Stefan Humphreys. 75. And Jimbo Colbert. 74. Yeah. All right. They're all, they all made it. Yeah. It was finally a complete picture for one of the few times in our history. Defenses have been great oftentimes. Running backs have been great oftentimes. But we had a quarterback. We had receivers. We had offensive linemen. It was uh, an embarrassment of riches. Didn't last as long as we hoped, but we sure fucking enjoyed it while it was there. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it well, thanks, thanks to the teams they field. It's still, I'm still forced to enjoy it. It's <laughs> right. what just happened because it's <laughs> right. it's the only Super Bowl team we have, the only Super Bowl winner that we have. That's right. Be that as it may. And most of that team won a road playoff game. They did the year before, right? Uh, everybody that played in this game, I didn't see Fridge Perry in this game. He was still sort of shackled to the bench. Yeah, he must have played because they actually, they did talk about him special teams, and they made no. He was he was in. He was playing tackle. Okay, because Hartenstein they, was still playing. It was Hartenstein's they talk, they, injury that forced Buddy to play? Either Joe or Frank talked about how Buddy had said he was a wasted draft pick, right? And they said well, oh, they clearly did. he's already he's already showing that he's not going to be a wasted draft pick. So. Okay, yeah, he did even by week not three. Just, the perceptive Monday night guys were like, no, Fridge, he's be no. I love Mike Hartenstein. I always felt bad that he, you know, had aged and injured himself off of that starting line, but they were better off with just plugging that middle with Fridge and moving Hampton back outside. Uh, or, yeah, I'm sorry. Hampton moved inside when, right? Who are the ends on 80? No, Hampton moved outside, right? Yeah. Ends are, yeah, because McMichael and Fridge are inside. They, well, it depended. So they um... – they rotated guys around. Later, like maybe even the next year, Fridge would play significant amounts of tackle. But you had a lot where the where your tackles were Hampton and McMichael. And then you had Fridge, and then the other end could be anybody from like Tyrone Keys. That's right. Um, 
Who's the other guy that used to play out there? Oh, God. But yeah, Tyrone Keys is a guy that Richard Dent passed up. I, I happened to know. I didn't know it at the time, but I somehow stumbled across him and saw that he was getting more snaps than Dent, like 83, you know, kind of 83, 84. Took Dent a while to get Buddy's trust. Henry Wachter. Oh, good old number 70. Got a sack and got a safety in the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, yeah, and then I don't know if you saw the clip of uh, Madden explaining the 46 defense. It was awesome. That I posted. And he did Just it on, so fantastic. He did a John Madden Super Bowl preview show on what, it was in 85, at, the, even though CBS didn't have the game. I know. I remember watching it. And, he did. And you said it, and, and you, did a, you did an awesome job. Uh, summarizing that, uh, in, uh, you know, when Madden died, just like whole arc and really what it meant uh, for the Bears. We're talking about this season here, and we'll just repeat it: that Madden would hadn't done any games yet. Uh, he would start doing them with Dallas, I think. Dallas, Atlanta, I did the Jets late in the season, both playoff games, and the Bears. He never saw the Bears give up a touchdown. He did, just, he did five games, and the Bears never five gave up games, a touchdown. Five oh. NFL games, two of which were playoff games. You're right. CBS did not, which. I guess the last thing I just want to mention, my thoughts about Madden, you know, when I was like processing, I, I enjoyed the documentary. I watched it after he died and it was, I thought it was obviously really well done. It hit, hit all the points. Uh, it, but there was that relationship with those eighties beers. Cause it sort of coincided with his own ascendancy. Really? I mean, he kind of came up really became a thing when like Montana and the Niners are winning, but the bears are really sort of, uh, you know, sort of in the thick of that. And he, you know, he really, you know, God, he just, he just really uh, associated with them and, and just seemed to go out of his way to, uh, it was, it was a perfect, it was just a perfect time. I mean, in hindsight, it, it, it feels like he, he felt like they were the closest thing personality wise to the Raiders teams that he had coached. I think so. And And so he liked how much fun they had while they were kicking everybody's ass. I think it's what kind of fueled um, the All Madden team. That All Madden team in '85, I remember, had like 11 bears. By the way, it had and he had like silly stuff. He had fridge in there, I think, for back. He got he got goofy. The All Madden team was like a 80 percent of an All Pro team. Really, he wasn't being completely shtick, but there was like this gray area, and it wasn't completely meatball. There was like people that were a little bit underlooked. They're just provided something that didn't show up, and for whatever reason, the '85 Bears were like. Just filled. I remember watching the All Madden special that year, and they just filled the hell out of that roster. So I learned something today that I wish I didn't know, and that was that. Do you know who the coach of the 1994 All Madden team was? He used to pick a coach too. It was a Wani. It was Wani. Wani was bragging about it today. It's like, oh, shut up. Um, God, yeah. I, one one of the things that came out when you know, just as people were going back over Madden's career, was obviously he was a he was popular because he was. He was the perfect blend of a football analyst who was uh, clearly excited when exciting things happened, but he would also take the time to actually explain why things were happening. People felt like they were learning things that they otherwise might not have known. And then he had the fortuitous timing of, as he made it big, the NFC, which CBS had, had That's all true. the great teams, and so comes he, back to your point about them being historically great. Right. So he was. Yeah. He was there, and he's the sound. Him and Pat are the soundtrack to the '85 Bears and the '86 Giants and the mm-hmm. Montana 49ers and the, and and the Riggins, Redskins. Redskins. Yep. And the and then all the way up to the Cowboys getting the Cowboys good again, and the yeah, second and round of the Niners and Favre, yeah, yeah. which he was 
He loved Favre. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. But still, you take the good with the bad. We yeah. definitely had our good part of it because, yeah. So meanwhile, poor. Uh, I don't know who. After Merlin, who even was NBC? Well, and that was the other thing is that I, I didn't finish my thought, I guess, but like CBS did not have the Super Bowl, but Madden did that thing, and I didn't. I don't want to disrespect Dick Enberg and Merlin Oski, who love them, but there was almost a little bit, and I never thought this until Madden died. I'm like, God, it's almost a little bit of regret that he wasn't in the booth for the Super Bowl. Although it's fine because Merlin also was a good analyst. Mm-hmm. Dick Enberg is the voice of generations. It worked out fine uh, that he didn't do the game. It's really kind of a small quibble. And besides he did the two shutouts. It just, it, you know, upon further review, uh, it worked out fine. But I did think that for a minute. I'm like, Oh, it would have been nice if Med was actually there at their crowning moment, but you know, he can't have everything. I mean, it would have, would have been better if it had been Bob uh, Don Crickey and Bob Trumpy, but you can't have. <laughs> That's right. You can't have we just knew that Tim Ryan and Johnny Morris were thousands <laughs> yeah. of miles. Couldn't away. NBC have just said, "You know what, guys, yeah. we're going to borrow, we're going to borrow Tim and Johnny for the Super Bowl." Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Dick Merlin. I'm going to sit this yeah. one out. Bear fans deserve it. So. All right. Well, that was fun. So yeah, the. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed uh, it. 85 Bears. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know who the Bears are playing in the playoffs next week. Uh, for next week's Remember that. This Crap. Oh, that's right. It's it's over. We could do a – we could do Remember This Crap. The Bears fire their coaches. We could just go through yeah. fi- Bear coach firings. Let's do a low – like absolute rock bottom low points in Bears history. We do 74, <laughs> 82 – uh, let's see. 99 now. is the all time one. The, the Dave McGinnis one though, would have to be a feature. Cause I still don't know if we'll get lower than that. And then the end of the Trustman era. And then this, that marks five, like real, like low points. Yeah. And so. it's funny. It'll be interesting to look back in a few years and see if we think this is it. Or if a year ago was before Justin Fields, because of fields. Now it's yeah, ridiculous fields, that yeah. they wasted an entire season, but that's kind right. of what the bears do, but they could still pull out in spite of right. themselves. But the idea is you have a much more attractive coaching position this year than you would have even this time last year, because there will be coaches who absolutely, unlike Maggie yes. pretending that he was cool with Mitch, you will have right. actual coaches who want to coach Justin Fields. So, yes, but I, yeah, I do think we, you know, and we have been for like five weeks, ever since the rumors were out, we got all excited prematurely that Nagy was going to get fired before the end of the season, which would grant us our, the novelty of an interim coach for the first time. Uh, it's like the last five weeks have just felt like a five week, uh, you know, a historic low point. And I'm like, we've been here before, you know, as bad as it's been, it's, it's not every year, but, uh, it's, it's, uh. Uh, I, I do wonder where maybe this shapes up, but I don't know. Yeah, it feels less hopeless than the end of the Trestman era. That, that did feel I bad. I mean, so when uh, when Fox came in the next year, he he brought Vic Fangio. People forget that, but um, Vic predated. Vic stuck around, kind of Buddy Ryan-esque to coach with yeah. Nagy. And Vic said at the time that the roster Fox and him inherited was worse than an expansion team. Because the veterans were either leaving or were still there but couldn't play anymore. And they had drafted so poorly under Phil Emery yep. that there was nothing. So, Yeah, that's a that's – a, um, that would be a sort of qualification for a low point. Would, like – 
82 wouldn't qualify in that level, although for other levels, because organizationally they were like, got an you know, 86-year-old owner still grieving the loss of his son. He's overriding his general manager, but they did have Peyton and Hampton and Singletary and Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had talent. They had talent when, uh, I guess, I don't know if they had talent when Wanstatt left. I, I can't even, I don't know if I have the strength to explore that, but. But that's a good point. Yeah, they really had nothing organizationally and personnel-wise at the end of the Trustman era. So, oh, it might be worth. It might be fun to talk about that. And then afterwards, I'll go slit my wrists. Yep. Everyone get real depressed. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun going through an entire bear season for the second time in a row. Looking backwards, we did cheat a little bit, but I think we. Um... We did. And these division games were fun because we found a way to put a spin on stuff we'd already done. I think we, so. The Vikings, we, you know, we just found two games and did those instead. So that was good. yeah. And there are more, you know. If if uh, oh yeah, there's if, a never-ending collection if, of crap. If our, if our audience is demanding more content, um, I'm sure we could dive into plenty of other games. I'm sure, right, you know, plenty are springing to your mind. But yeah. So. I was thinking we'll take a couple of weeks off, and then we can uh, we can remember uh, famous work stoppages in baseball history. <laughs> Let's do it. So that'll be great. All right. Well, uh, we'll see what happens next. Sounds good. But, uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. See you later. Many of us have herpes. 